Welcome to the Biopractica Professional Podcast Series. Biopractica is an Australian-owned, practitioner-only brand focusing on nutritional and herbal products proven to play a role in preventative medicine. Biopractica is committed to supporting healthcare professionals in developing their knowledge and skills so they can confidently and effectively tackle the major health challenges facing their patients today. To support this commitment, the Learning Hub was established by Biopractica to offer practitioners a collection of educational resources so they can stay informed on the latest in health science research. Hello. If you haven't tuned in to one of our podcasts before, welcome. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. My name is Paul Kern, and with my co-host, the fantastic Claire Murray, we'll be looking at specific forms of magnesium for a therapeutic effect in cases of metabolic syndrome. Welcome, Claire. Hello. We're back doing another podcast. Nice to be we here. We are you. indeed. It's always great to see you and uh, mm. and also see you in a place which has some uh, some sunlight, which uh, we are quite <laughs> envious of. I've got, I've got a little bit here, but uh, certainly a lot more sunlight for you there. So uh, almost makes me think we should be talking about vitamin D. But of course, today we are going to be talking about magnesium. And so mm. I guess let's hop into it. We're going to be talking about a magnesium formula improving parameters of metabolic syndrome. And there was a great – the reason that's sort of our topic is because of that fantastic paper published in 2021 that looks at this. You know, that's exactly what the paper's all about. But before we go any further, I know you've spent plenty of time reading it. Can you mm-hmm. give us just a bit of an overview for the listeners about it? Mm. Yes. So, it's by the author Afitska. It is 2021 – RCT, as you said, looking at the role of magnesium in metabolic syndrome. But it's an interesting one because they said, which I think we'll touch on a little bit as we go through this, that there is quite a good body of evidence that says or shows us that people with metabolic syndrome often have a frank magnesium deficiency or their dietary intake of magnesium is very low. And so you're dealing with people that are magnesium deficient. However, Hmm. once you start to provide people with magnesium supplementation, you kind of Hmm. correct the dietary deficiency. You meet their RDI, Hmm. but then you go beyond that, don't you? And you start providing Hmm. them additional magnesium that Hmm. is just like kind of pure supplemental magnesium. Mm -hmm. So they said, yeah, there's this whole conversation around like, let's correct, like correcting this magnesium deficiency. But once we go beyond that and we're in that supplemental realm, does that have any Hmm. benefit? You know, and I think that's so relevant for us as naturopaths because that's often the field we are playing in. We're like, well, we're doing the dietary analysis, we're increasing your magnesium-rich foods, but I'm giving you your magnesium as well because, you know, I can see how indicated it is. Is that actually doing anything? Is that being a benefit? That's the kind of question that they they were looking at. So they screened a whole bunch of people with metabolic syndrome but then also looked at their magnesium levels and they they chose people for the study that actually had already a normal magnesium level mm-hmm. to then see if providing supplementation would be of benefit. So mm. they ended up with 24 participants in the end. They gave them mm-hmm. 400 milligrams classic magnesium dose of magnesium mm-hmm. citrate mm-hmm. a day for 12 weeks and then they measured them at baseline and then at the end of the 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. And they 
then obviously measured a whole bunch of parameters related to metabolic syndrome, like your systolic, mm. diastolic blood pressure, HbA1c, yep. which we know is that kind of looking at that average of someone's blood glucose over kind of like mm-hmm. a two to three month period, it's reflective of yep. plasma glucose, cholesterol, triglycerides, mm. you know, magne- mm-hmm. um, blood magnesium, calcium, vitamin D, and then some mm-hmm. of your inflammatory markers like your interleukin and your CRP. So, yep. yeah, an interesting one. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, as you said, I couldn't agree more. Really interesting to take a study from simply looking at what happens if someone has a frank deficiency to saying, well, what if someone has sufficiency and what, you know, what, what is the role of supplementation there? Mm. Let, let's just to give this a bit of a sort of, I'll call it a real world context, because even though, you know, the studies are fantastic, as a pracky, do you see many patients with either signs of metabolic syndrome? Is there a specific sort of way that someone might present, you know, or do you have your own definition of metabolic syndrome and how it's sort of characterized? What do you mm. see in clinic? Well, yeah, I mean, me seeing a lot of women, women's health, mm-hmm. skin, mm-hmm. I see probably a really common presentation that can kind of start to head down this road is your PCOS mm-hmm. woman. You know, mm-hmm. I don't see a lot of that cliched metabolic syndrome picture that people mm-hmm. might think in their, their brain of kind of like the yeah. older overweight gentleman with high blood pressure. Or, mm-hmm. But those signs of metabolic syndrome like you talk about, and it's amazing that it's starting to happen in younger and younger people. Mm-hmm. And I think they even mm-hmm. said in the study one of the age, the age bracket of people were from like 25 to 85, you know, so they had oh, like yeah. – a 20-year-old in this study. And I, you can yep. definitely start to see signs in in some younger people where you're like, yeah, if you keep going mm-hmm. the way you're going, mm-hmm. then this could easily be your future, you know, like mm-hmm. overweight, that high testosterone level, if we are talking mm-hmm. about a PCOS woman, very much correlated yep. with blood sugar dysregulation, potentially insulin mm-hmm. resistance. So, yeah, I think that's, that's me personally, how I mainly mm-hmm. see it in clinic. What about you, though? Look, I, I must confess, I think very much or very similar experience to yours, which is, of course, is that so-called classic metabolic syndrome where you say, you know, you see a male and he usually has a very poor diet and has the high blood sugar, high blood pressure, uh, high cholesterol, <laughs> high triglycerides, yeah. you know, all, all of those sorts of things. But, you know, when you were talking about, you know, for example, you know, looking at groups from age 25, I actually have a patient that I saw last week and I think she'd be maybe not even 21 and she has all the signs of metabolic syndrome. Mm. And I I think, you know, it is interesting that no longer could we or should we say, let's wait for a blood test necessarily, which shows, you know, the insulin resistance, the high triglycerides, the hypertension, you know. I think we need as practitioners to be able to sort of start to spot it and spot those markers Mm. a little more. And, I mean, obviously we could say that obesity is a pretty clear thing for someone to visually see, which which is really important, I think, and fantastic. But, you know, when I see that now, what I've found myself doing is, does this person have insulin resistance? So this patient, for example, the young lady I was referring to, you know, I've got an insulin test done for her. I, I want to see, is she actually insulin resistant or mm. is she perhaps eating a very poor diet? 
um, and that's mm. leading to, you know, some of these other things as well. So I, I do see it, but, you know, I, I like being able to look and sort of get a quick overview as a pracky. Is this person likely to need further investigation? I think that's the really important thing sort of for me. Mm, and I think it's so good in what you said as well in that if we are seeing a young person, it's like let's mm. get them onto the diet and lifestyle changes. Let's mm. get them onto the supplements like the magnesium because like you do not want to be seeing that that girl, that woman in, in another mm. three or four years' time come to you as a 25-year-old and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm on antihypertensives or I'm on a stat. You're not- like, no, we do not. We don't need to be going down that road, hopefully, do we, mm-hmm. people as they get younger and younger. But like you kind of touched on before, I just wanted to quickly kind of give some context mm-hmm. for sure. anyone listening at home, just keeping in mind our definition of metabolic syndrome, that they have to have mm-hmm. three of four, three out of four of insulin resistance, obesity. Mm-hmm. So that's technically you know, a healthy range of a BMI is under 25. Mm -hmm. What they call atherogenic dyslipidemia, which is high triglycerides and or low HDLs. Mm. They actually don't Mm. bring LDLs into the equation, which is interesting, and hypertension. So you have to have three Mm. out of four of those to meet Mm. the parameters to get a diagnosis of metabolic syndrome. Mm. And can you believe it? This paper, you know, is talking about in their intro, 25% Mm. of the world's population I mean, you can believe it if you know, wow. depending how you're looking at it, have yep. metabolic syndrome. Like that's billions of people, billions mm. of people. And, and I was going to say, Claire, if you then put that into the context that there are still people that live, we'll say, not Western lifestyles, that you know, even though that's 25 percent of the population, if you then actually take out a whole, gr- you know, groups of people that don't have a highly mm. Westernized lifestyle, you'll probably find that's almost 50 percent. Of, of the yeah. Western population or, you know, the population that we would see as practitioners here in Australia. Yeah, that's so true. And, yeah, you can kind of see it when you go out into the world. I mean, just even, mm-hmm. yeah, out into our local places, can't you? Like it's, Absolutely. yeah, I mean, such such a, such a reflection of what our diet and lifestyle is doing to us as a species, mm-hmm. I think. And, mm-hmm. and that the underlying mechanisms of this down on a cellular level they're very well established. Hmm. I'm sure we're all familiar with mm-hmm. them. It's that inflammation, that subclinical inflammation. We've spoken about mm-hmm. this on a podcast we did ages ago, that it's this population mm-hmm. with metabolic syndrome. They're the kind of people that if this hasn't been picked up by their doctor or they're not going to see one, it can really be mm-hmm. the ticking time bomb of there is a big mm-hmm. inflammatory load in this body. And if mm-hmm. you have hypertension, you don't necessarily feel it. Like it can be very a very asymptomatic inflammation mm. kind of and high mm. level of oxidative stress endothelial dysfunction down at that blood mm. vessel level and then mm. that impaired function of your beta cells in the pancreas as well so you know mm. you start to kind of fix one you start to fix them all in a way because they're very kind of interrelated no mm. oh, look they absolutely are look you know you, you sort of mentioned blood pressure and insulin levels you know, so we know patients are all complex and there's different reasons. You know, there, there, there can be situational stress uh, that can lead to blood mm. pressure issues. You know, we know chronic stress leads to poor dietary choices, which probably is going to impact insulin levels. Is there any good data on magnesium sort of specifically for blood pressure and or insulin that you'll come across? Yeah, so this paper, they were probably the two biggest outcomes that they saw Mm -hmm. in doing this 12-week 
trial. So we know mm-hmm. the magnesium is very, very important from this insulin resistance perspective mm-hmm. for activating the insulin receptor. So it's magnesium is so vital in insulin being able to do its work, be that key that unlocks the cell that allows glucose to transport into there. And so we see, like we talked about before, that dietary magnesium has been shown again and again to be way below recommended allowance Mm. in people normally Mm -hmm. with metabolic syndrome. And then, you know, that's obviously then reflected that evidence also finds that their serum magnesium levels are then lower compared to healthy Mm. controls. So this was something that they found a significant improvement in. So in the the treatment group in this RCT, the HbA1c significantly reduced over the 12-week time and the placebo group was unchanged. Mm -hmm. I think we got to keep in mind as well that it can track, like it it can take a bit of time because we know it's that two Mm -hmm. to three-month average. Yeah, and you're kind of wanting to be getting it more around that kind of five to five-and-a-half level wherever you can, and that's Mm -hmm. what started to happen in the trial. It went from about 6.4 and started to track down to about 6.1. And so... Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's enough for a significant change because it just tracks yeah. down over time. But that's just doing yep. the one intervention, isn't it, which is pretty yeah. cool. But yeah. really big changes with hypertension, which was the other one that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Like we know, obviously, mm-hmm. it's playing that role with smooth muscle, causing that relaxation. Mm-hmm. So those um, dysfunctional blood vessels can actually start to vasodilate again. Yeah. But they found in this study that systolic blood pressure went from an average of 145 to 120. It went back to normal level. So 25 point reduction. Yeah. And diastolic went from 85 to 78. So that's really amazing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Oh, look, I was going to say, I I often see, I see a lot of patients, you know, you go, you know, your systolic say, you know, 145 and you go, you know, we know that that's not, ideal it doesn't feel like it's you know real real hypertension if you know what i mean as Mm. a clinician you sort of go well yeah it's elevated but i don't know if you know it depends on the definition you're using as to whether that's real you know hypertension but that reduction is absolutely phenomenal and for me though claire it sort of speaks volumes that you know i i often say and you and i've talked about this every now and then in the past if you can change three things meaningfully in someone's life you can potentially change their life. And, you know, it does really mm. speak volumes that if someone has a magnesium deficiency, it's almost like, well, all your other treatments can be great, but you've got to address, well, you know, you, you can't do much without addressing the underlying deficiency that's there. And that's what this really sort of speaks to. So that's astounding. Mm. And I think I wonder too a little bit, how sensitive you said a little bit before you know blood pressure can be to stress and those kinds of things of mm. repleting magnesium like how many times have we all read you know the hundreds of enzymatic processes that magnesium's yep. involved in like it's doing a lot and if it's deficient mm. because someone's diet quality is really poor like you are doing so much for a patient aren't you like you get so mm. much bang for your buck if you can mm. uh, prescribe a magnesium for someone who has that really high demand for it and mm. i think our Metabolic syndrome patients are very, very good candidates, which this Mm -hmm. um, research then reflects. And I think this is, interestingly then, other things that they studied, like your cholesterol, your triglycerides, Mm. interleukin-6, they didn't show significant changes. And I'm like, yes, this is where this was a 12-week trial. Mm -hmm. 
cholesterol, you know, that's a reflection of the huge oxidative load in these people's bodies. Mm. Like that takes time Mm. and you can't, you Mm. can't, I don't think you can expect as an individual to give, Mm. you know, one mineral as we have to do in a trial Mm. for one intervention and not change anything in in your diet and lifestyle and expect to see, Mm -hmm. you know, a true and meaningful change in someone's cholesterol. And triglycerides being such a huge reflection of someone's diet quality, how many carbohydrates, Mm. how much sugar is this person consuming? Mm -hmm. Again, I don't think you can see, expect to see, a true and meaningful change unless someone is making true and meaningful changes in their life. Mm. So, yeah, no, I think I think the results kind of made a lot of sense to me from that perspective mm. in this study. Mm. And, and um, you know, um, I'm glad you sort of pointed out that, you know, they didn't necessarily see those changes in cholesterol, triglycerides, et cetera. But, you know, I've seen people with very, very high cholesterol. When I say that, I'm talking, you know, total cholesterol of around 10 and mm. they've made radical lifestyle changes. But, you know, you, you're dealing with a long time for a cholesterol level of 10 to come down to even 6, you know, and, and yeah. I'm talking, you know, you know, this is with radical life changes, radical ones. The, you know, 12 weeks mm. just is nowhere near enough. Mm. But, look, are there any other specific things you'd recommend for patients with, say, elevated blood pressure or insulin? I mean, obviously, magnesium, magnesium, magnesium. But any other vitamins, minerals, any lifestyle things you find yourself sort of uh, mentioning to patients? Yes. Well, I think we're probably all pretty familiar with the diet and lifestyle changes that need to happen, don't they? It's just kind of, I suppose, meeting a patient with where they're at. Is it that this person's diet quality is so poor that I need to coach them through eating one cup more of vegetables a day just for the first month, you know, like can they even cook, Mm -hmm. et cetera, right down to maybe Mm. someone's going to do a radical intermittent fasting, Mediterranean Mm. keto, you know, like they're just, they're there and they're Mm -hmm. ready. But that movement has to happen. Like we, you know, that's just Mm. so important for blood sugar, especially. Mm. But then I'm just looking at those underlying drivers, you know, and I'm I'm just constantly bringing my brain back to that of like, this person has a chronic subclinical inflammation. They have a chronic Mm -hmm. significant oxidative load. And that is then Mm. impacting their endothelium and its capacity to function. Mm. We've got to be working Mm. on those. So, I love mm. a lot of our antioxidant nutrients and minerals at that point, mm. like a selenium, zinc, quercetin, mm. NAC. I love all those. Omega-3, mm. such good evidence yep. for our, you know, cardiovascular patients, isn't there? So that's pretty important. Absolutely. But then, yep. you know, what other symptoms do they have? Like K2, vitamin K2. I was thinking of before when you said, you know, it takes time mm-hmm. for these things to move. Like if someone does kind of have that calcification of the artery and they're like, you know, my patient's mm-hmm. got blood pressure, high blood pressure, what do I do? It's like you can give something like your vitamin K, but it's going to take time because this yeah. was happening in your patient's arteries for years before mm-hmm. this got picked up. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can't just give an intervention of, you know, of vitamin K for for even like eight to 12 weeks and kind of expect to see mm-hmm. anything significant mm-hmm. happening there it's you know the body slowly chips away at things over time so and, and i was going to just add there though that you can't necessarily say so let's give them 10 times more than the recommended amount to make it happen faster because as you said the no, body slowly yes. chips away at things you know you can't sort of you know use quantity rather than time it is always that combination so mm. which is so important mm. yeah exactly 
So any herbs or anything you'd consider or you've had good results with? Um, well, yeah, what can we do there? Like I was kind of thinking obviously Hawthorne's an, an easy one, things mm. like your Danshan, your olive leaf, like all mm. of those kind of hypertensive, cardiotonics, mm. antioxidants as yep. well, something like motherwort or even lemon balm. We mm. start to get into that kind of nervine effect as well, like if someone yeah. does have quite a – strong affinity between stress and it impacts their heart or their cardiovascular mm-hmm. system, mm-hmm. which you definitely see mm-hmm. in a subset of patients. Yep. And then just things like, you know, what else needs to be happening if there is that metabolic picture? Do we need a bit of gymnema or goat's rue or, you know, cinnamon in there, being that it is also interrelated, like that really excessive blood sugar level is very inflammatory mm-hmm. to the body as well. Like you've got to be kind of working on all of that at the same time. Yeah, I mean, you know. We've all got our favourite herbs when it comes to our cardiovascular tonics, but yeah. they were kind of the ones that came to my mind. Sure, sure. Look, absolutely. And I think you've really covered most of the sort of main ones that, you know, people do look at and there is good data on and, you know, as a practitioner, I've also found good results with those. You know, yeah. we are sort of yeah. talking about magnesium supplementation and I think we're all sort of aware that you know, magnesium, you know, levels, blood tests, you know, every now and then with, throughout the industry, you hear people saying, oh, you know, are they that accurate, et cetera. And I guess, you know, I, I don't regard them as the pin- a blood test of magnesium as the pinnacle of discovering what someone's magnesium mm. levels are, but I think it is indicative. Do you get your patients to do a magnesium test before supplementing? I personally don't. I'm probably a bit mm-hmm. more in your camp of I've never found it one that I've felt like is a must-do. I think we're probably also existing within a bit of a space where GPs weren't commonly tested either, so it tends to be one that you can get a bit of kickback on, you know, so it kind of can stay in that camp of like, oh, we just don't generally test it. That being said, I 100% agree. I know that there's practices that love to test it and, you know, you come across the odd patient here or there when you're going through their blood tests and their GP you know, tested it as well. So I think Mm. props to them because there is definitely an argument if you're having a patient come in and they have, you know, alarming metabolic syndrome and their diet quality Mm. is poor, like it's probably a good Mm. one to test, you know, from that perspective. But I think this test is interesting in that they're actually looking at that supplementation window. Like they're dealing with patients Mm. who don't just have a deficiency. They have normal magnesium Mm. levels. They were giving supplementation and they still found benefits you know, for that insulin and mm. hypertension specifically. Mm. So to me, that's a pretty good rationale of like, I don't really need to know my patient's magnesium level. Like that whole mm. thing with the test, is this going to change my therapeutic outcome? I don't know that it would for something yeah. like magnesium, if you're seeing that rationale. Yeah. And then on top of that, they studied uh, in this test, they studied plasma magnesium, like a common one that we mm-hmm. would all get done. Um, for ourselves or for mm-hmm. patients, and they also yep. did whole blood ionized magnesium, so the the magnesium that was right. actually attached onto the red blood cell, and mm-hmm. the plasma magnesium increased with supplementation, mm-hmm. but the whole blood mm-hmm. magnesium didn't, and for the treatment group, it wow. actually went down a tiny bit, and that's with receiving wow. four hundred milligrams a day. So it's just that that classic thing of like like you kind of touched on and you know at the start it's it's not necessarily reflective of tissue levels there's pros mm. and cons to every test and 0.8% of all the magnesium in the body is in the blood and only right. of that 0.3 is in the serum 0.5 is in your erythro- erythrocytes so 
Yeah. You know, you're getting a very, 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 very small insight when very you're testing small. that. So, yeah, I, I think this this study's kind of confirmed to me that it's maybe not in my brain, not a must do. Hmm. Mm. Look, and, and I think we know, and hopefully listeners know as well, that as a practitioner, there, there are little, I'll call them little clues, but they're actually big clues. If someone has suboptimal magnesium, you know, how, how many people exactly. will tell you every now and then they get cramps or they have those strange mm-hmm. eye twitches or muscle twitches yes. and, and things like that? And, and sometimes I think spend them, and especially if people have to pay for their own magnesium test if they're not having it done via Medicare, you know, via the mm. medical system as such, perhaps you're better off actually just supplementing someone with a really good quality magnesium for the same exactly. price as as the test. Uh, and especially if they are showing other, we'll say, physical signs of ma- magnesium issues. So, you know, I'd, I'd absolutely sort of think about that. Mm. Now, just really quickly, you know, we've discussed magnesium citrate because that's, you know, that's where a lot of data points and that's where this paper sort of is looking at. But from a patient perspective, I've had some people really, I'll say, kick back and go, well, I don't know if I can take that because of its looseness, causing loose stools and affecting the bowels. Do you think that perhaps then you don't use magnesium citrate? Perhaps, you know, there's a different form of magnesium that you know, we should be prescribing as practitioners, even though the data is pointing to the benefit being from magnesium citrate. I think this is probably a good example where we want to be sticking with the evidence base, but we mm-hmm. more want to be looking at that individual patient and going, what could be going mm-hmm. on here? You know, mm-hmm. most of our magnesium, like a lot of our nutrition, it's predominantly absorbed in the small intestine. So we could kind of be putting mm-hmm. on our thinking cap and going, what could be going on there? Is there a bit of mm-hmm. malabsorption going on? You know, there's quite a bit of magnesium ending up in the lower bowel having that osmotic mm-hmm. effect or, you mm-hmm. know, what's that kind of breakdown of that magnesium citrate molecule? How's that going? What mm-hmm. I always find with my patients is that it's mm-hmm. way better to peel back the dose than not give it at all mm-hmm. and spread it out over the day. So I would way okay. rather them take you know, 100 milligrams in the morning, 100 milligrams at night, mm-hmm. do that for a week, see mm-hmm. how that goes and then slowly work. And there's so many patients can kind of can tolerate it. They just need to work up mm-hmm. to it. Or if you have mm-hmm. the odd patient who it just really doesn't sit well with them, work mm-hmm. with what dose they can take. Yep. Find their tolerance, yep. kind of do that dance, figure out where it's at and just work with that and stay with that. I think mm-hmm. if you can be working on getting the diet quality up, if you're still able to get, you know, one, two, three hundred milligrams into their system, that's way better than mm-hmm. not. Way better mm-hmm. than them going to the health food store in six or twelve months' time after they've been like, Oh, it was too hard, or maybe I should take mm-hmm. it again and you know, grabbing like a magnesium mm-hmm. oxide off the shelf. Like I couldn't think of anything mm-hmm. worse for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just find find a little regime that works for them, break it down, split up mm-hmm. the dose, you know, so we're not mm-hmm. maybe kind of bombarding the small intestine all at once if mm-hmm. their gut maybe is a bit of a thing, limiting factor for them. Yeah, I must say of, you know, with patients with these issues, I, I didn't realise this until I'd asked the question, but people were saying, I'll mix up my magnesium, so they'd put the powder in dry, dry glass, add water, let it dissolve, but then they would literally drink it all in a minute or two. It was sort of like quick. Uh, it's a medicine. Yeah. I've got to go drink it as quickly as I can. And with a lot of those people, 
I sort of said, look, take take the sachet with you to work, put it in a glass. And they usually found if they drunk it even over about maybe a one-hour period rather than mm. one massive mega hit all at once, they really – it didn't loosen the bowels quite so much. I mean, their stools were still looser than if they – hadn't been on the magnesium, but not to a point where it was troublesome. And I, I think sometimes, as I said, we might know as practitioners that you can just sit there and drink it over an hour or two or three if you really want. Sip it, yeah. But some patients think, no, it's a medicine, quick. You mix it up and you've got to drink it all in 30 <laughs> seconds. Or, you, you, you know, like- that, but they're not using it uh, as sort of a drink. Yes. I feel like they must be the patients that are like, the classic naturopathy patient that are used to getting liquid herbs or something. And they're like, oh, my God, yeah. maybe this is going to be like those gross herbs that Paul gave me. I've got to get mm-hmm. it in the cup, mm-hmm. slam it down. Slam it down. <laughs> That's right. My day. Yeah, not That's the case. Right. Put it in the drink bottle, no. you know, sip it over your morning. Mm. It's totally, yeah, that's a way way better approach than doing it all in one go. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, look, you know, to sum up, what sort of dose and duration of magnesium citrate supplementation does the sort of evidence point you to, sorry, has been required to modify those markers of metabolic syndrome? Yeah. You know, so- we've spoken of some people as little as 100 milligrams if they've got real bad gut problems, and we could see from some of the data you spoke of, it's going to benefit people somewhat, but what's the magic number, Claire? I want the, I want the magic numbers. <laughs> Yeah, so trial was 400 milligrams for 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I would say 12 plus weeks. How long your patient needs, that's how long is a piece of string in terms of diet and lifestyle changes. You know, maybe the diet quality increases, they get a bit more magnesium, but they're starting to Mm -hmm. exercise. So, you know, they're going to be losing a bit more Mm -hmm. or they're going through a really stressful period or, Mm -hmm. you know, we've got some real significant metabolic markers there that we're needing to Mm -hmm. work on. So I think it's just... You want around that 400 milligram dose and you mm-hmm. need to be having a conversation with your patients of this mm-hmm. is going to be a part of your regime for quite some time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Mm-hmm. All right. But look, before we wrap up today's uh, podcast episode, uh, were there any limitations that you uh, found when you went through the paper? Yeah. So I thought – You know, it's kind of a smaller sample size. Like they started off Mm -hmm. with a larger group, but they only ended up with 24 because a couple of people dropped away. I think Mm -hmm. we've discussed at multiple points here that the timeframe is short in comparison Mm. to how complex and chronic the the disease is and how much, you know, all of a sudden, oh, I've gone to the doctor and it's my blood pressure was high, but now they've done the panel and, oh, my gosh, look, now I have metabolic syndrome. It's like that was was coming for years in the background. Mm -hmm. That was building up. Mm Yep. I think dietary magnesium intake wasn't factored in to the mm-hmm. study as well. I mean, we are dealing mm-hmm. with people that had normal magnesium levels mm-hmm. in their blood, but mm-hmm. what's that due to? What was the quality of their diet? Mm-hmm. You know, that wasn't looked at. And mm-hmm. I think I'd probably another limitation as well is that their insulin levels weren't measured. They mainly looked at right. that whole kind of glucose insulin picture via that HbA1c. I think insulin would have been a really interesting one because that can be a very satisfying one, can't it? (laughs) On a blood test with the patient, it comes back high. And then Mm -hmm. sometimes you don't have to work too too hard or too long. You know, you get them Mm -hmm. exercising a little bit, you get in things like maybe a bit of magnesium and a few other things and 
that can be one that you can retest in maybe 12 to 16 weeks and you can normally see some quite nice shifts in that. So I think mm. that, you know, that's definitely one. I mean, you mentioned it before, like that's a pretty easy one to test in clinic as well that I'd definitely be looking at. Hmm. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, look, Claire, thank you so much for going through all of this and taking the time to actually really sort of read and unpack, I think, the real key highlights uh, of this paper. Unfortunately, it is all we have time for in this podcast. So, everyone, if you can remember to keep an eye out for more podcasts from us where we'll be taking a deeper look at topics that relate to both the natural health industry itself and some of the medicines that you can or that can have, sorry, a positive impact on people's health. Thank you so much, Claire. Thank you, as always, Paul, for your excellent questions. Well, I can't wait for our next podcast where you'll be the one asking all the brilliant questions. And thank you, everyone who's tuned in for this podcast. Thank you for listening. Take care and goodbye. Bye. To continue the conversation or find out more about our products and educational resources, please head to biopractica.com.au. Biopractica, empowering healthcare professionals.